Podcast. I'm your host Stuart Butler. Joined today with a very festive Ma Kavanaugh, Melissa. Hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. Wherever you are, it's five o'clock somewhere. And hence we have the alcohol. <laughs> and also Ma Bokikio Misha. <laughs> That's wrong. Ma Kating Misha. There you go. Feliz Navidad, everyone. And Pa Pete Demeo. Hey, everybody. Welcome yep. to episode. 34. 34. So what are you guys? It's almost Christmas slash holiday for our Jewish friends like Melissa. What are you guys asking for from Santa Claus? I'm asking Santa for the one thing that I'll never get. The Nintendo Classic Mini. Man, if you can find one of those, let me know because I've been looking at like $300 on eBay. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Ridiculous. So if, if, you, if you're listening to Nintendo and you want to send us one. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Yeah, if not, it'll be a Valentine's Day present. To Probably so. The or or, or to my wife, and then if she doesn't <laughs> want it, that's fine. Too. There you go. What's what's more romantic than a, a classic Nintendo micro? I'm still waiting for that answer because I can't think of any. No, I can't either. <laughs> Ladies, maybe you know. What do you want for Christmas? My list for any holiday is pretty standard: cats and wine. Or if you would like to contribute to my student loan fund, that's kind of a priority too. So yeah, top three: cats, wine, money. Okay. Solid list. This, I don't know if you've been a good girl this year, so maybe Santa will grant that wish. I don't maybe. Know. Melissa. I am asking Santa and the Hanukkah Bunny for um, some speed, not the drug, uh, speed for my legs, <laughs> so that I can finally hit my sub two hour half marathon come March in Myrtle Beach. Well, you can do it, Melissa. We believe in you. Even if we have to chase you Some the pixie way. dust something. Then you yeah. could fly it. I think that's cheating. It's frowned upon. I think it's frowned upon. May I personally yes. recommend a Starbucks coffee with an extra shot of espresso? <laughs> that will do it. <laughs> Apparently, because that's help. that is what Misha had this morning, and she is still yet to come down from that. Yes. It'll be a great rush. episode. It is. And do you know what I want for Christmas? I don't really care. But I'm, I'm sure it's Star Wars related. Well, no, I already have just about everything Star Wars related. I want all of our listeners to go to iTunes and to review our podcast Aww. because that would make me a happy little a Christmas miracle it would be a Christmas <laughs> miracle so if you're listening to this podcast if you're enjoying it please 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 go to iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast and leave a nice friendly review and we'll give you a shout out on the show how about that cannot say fairer so this episode we are going to be talking about a, a study that Google put out in conjunction with IPSOS I'm not sure how that's pronounced any guesses I'm going with Ipsos Ipsos, anyone else? IPSOS? IPSO? I don't know. I think that sounds good. Okay. <laughs> no opinion. IPSOS, whatever it is, Google and this other company put out a really good study that looked at how people use their mobile phones related to travel. It's mostly focused on mobile apps, but also digs a little bit into mobile websites. So we're going to kind of dig into that. It's a 17 page download. We'll link to that in the show notes so you can follow along at home. But before we get into that, let's see what's going on in the news, Pete. All right, well, the first news item, and I pulled this from T News, but it really is everywhere on the interwebs. And it is a new study that Expedia Media Solutions. Expedia Media. Expedia Media has put out. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, Oh, I'm gonna work on that. Expedia Media, Expedia Media, Expedia Media. I think that's that's three. That's three. But uh, anyway, there. Their research they put out was profile of the American leisure travel traveler. 
So we all have our opinions on the word leisure, but the study is really full of great information talking about how, from a hotelier's perspective, going out and targeting those people who are coming into town for business really can pay big dividends. And they looked at the people who did travel for business and how they extended their stays to you know, take in the sights and sounds of a city or a destination that they went to, to the point where they would spend 50% of their vacation, or not their vacation, their business trip doing leisure-related activities. So if you market those people correctly, that two-day conference that the person went to can turn into four days at your property while that person's exploring the destination. Yeah, and we're seeing this a lot. You know, when I go to conferences, I'm seeing more and more people are traveling with a spouse or significant other and making a vacation of it. You know, I just recently came back from New York and um, the guy I went with, he took his wife with him. So they, they spent some time looking around. They got there a day early and went and looked at 9-11 Memorial and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, I think this is something that is definitely something you should pay attention to because it's a huge opportunity for extra room nights on the fringe of those big busy times when you have a big conference or group or whatever it is going on. And one other thing that I took away from the research, and it's a great piece of research, it's a nice about 40 page PDF presentation, was the amount of money that the leisure travelers would spend that is more than what a typical leisure traveler would spend. They're not having to pay for their flight. They're not having to pay for a portion of their accommodations. And you see them upping the ante in terms of entertainment, accommodations, and anything else that they're doing while they're yeah, on vacation. F&B, you know, a lot of times they can write the meals off. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they definitely have looser purse strings than someone that's on a strict budget because they paid for the flight, paid for the, all of the hotel. So definitely, I mean, think about it. You could easily send dedicated emails to groups that are coming in. You know they're coming to stay for this particular event. Send them a pre-arrival email encouraging them to extend the stay a night or two. It's the easiest, it's low-hanging fruit that you can really go after. Yeah, we are seeing a lot of our hotel clients really focusing on the group travel business in 2017 because there is so much growth opportunity there. Cool, what's next? I have an interesting article. It's not necessarily a news item, but I was intrigued by this because I feel like it really follows our philosophy on how we approach our content and how we advise our clients on content marketing. So the article is from unbounce.com. For anyone unfamiliar, this is a company that does landing page testing and optimization. And the article is titled, That Time Unbounce Stopped Posting for Two Weeks and Scored 700 New Leads. So they have a lot of data and they you know, provide some insight on their thought process behind this, but the too long didn't read version of this is how Unbounce realized they were producing a ton of content, which is great, but they decided to take a break from actually producing the content, you know, do a little bit of auditing and analysis on their existing content, specifically the content that was getting a lot of traffic but not performing super well, and then spent a lot of time revamping and repurposing that content, adding in more calls to action, adding in some more imagery, some more research or facts or whatever it might be and repurposing their existing content to make it perform better. And by doing that, they were able to increase the amount of leads they were getting. And from a hotel perspective, this is something that you should definitely be doing. You know, if you're not blogging or writing content, if that makes sense for you, you should be doing that. But then instead of just producing content for the sake of producing content, really looking at, you know, what is generating traffic, what is generating leads, you know, and how you can, instead of just writing for the sake of writing, really have a goal in mind and, you know, revamp what's 
drawing in people and how can you, instead of just having a page view, get them to do something else. Like really think about what the goal of that piece of content is, you know, how you can make it more useful for you long-term. So I really like their thought process on this. And I think, um, you know, one thing that they talk about is how they, you know, took the time to slow down and think about how they were approaching their content marketing, which is, I think, something that you should be doing on a very regular basis. I thought that it, my favorite part of that article was the fact that they actually revamped their welcome message for people who signed up for their email newsletter. Um, and they went from a very generic, hey, thanks for subscribing. We look forward to working with you. Here's your free ebook thing. And actually very much personalized the welcome message and asked for feedback right in the welcome message from their new subscribers. And they're saying that people have actually responded and said, hey, this is what I'm interested in seeing. So I thought that was, that was really cool. Yeah, they definitely put a lot of thought behind what they were doing, like even with this project, not on a content level, but with this project, what they wanted to get out of it, you know, making their content more useful, you know, making their communications more useful. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this was about. And I think that can translate across any industry. Yeah, we did a whole episode, I think it was episode 26, where we talked about converting after the conversion. Right. And I felt like that's related to this in that a lot of people write a blog to drive traffic. And that's it, because they see that they got the traffic. But that's the beginning of a new cycle of generating some kind of lead, a new sales funnel, right? So I, I really like this a lot. People are so focused on creating more and more and more and more content, and they never stop to think about making the content they have more great great, 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 right? And we talk a lot on this podcast about 10X. And it's really easy to write an article and be done with it and then let it sit out there in the blogosphere forever. But if you go and revisit the articles you wrote on, say, email marketing last year or the stuff we do, like link building last year, the industry's changed. Stuff has changed. We can add more relevance to that. We can make it more useful and helpful to people. And then it's going to be more valuable Google's going to see that. It's going to rank better. We're going to get more traffic. It's going to create more leads. And same thing for hotel industry. If you wrote an article last year on the great attraction in your area, say there's a Wonderworks in your area and you wrote an article about that and it gets some traffic, well, guess what? I bet they added some new stuff this year. Go rewrite that article or add to it, supplement it, add video, add photos, add better conversion, tell people they can buy tickets through the front desk. You know, Just think about how can you make each article 10x even if it wasn't 10X when you first created it. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show you that you spend so much time kind of in the weeds, you know, producing content, producing content. Sometimes you do have to step back and ask yourself, am I just doing the work or am I actually doing the work the best I can? And I like how they actually stopped what they were typically doing, shifted gears and focused on improving their process. I think that's going to help long-term on you know, the future content as well. Yeah, I think at least once a year, maybe even twice a year, once you kind of stop and take stock of what they're doing and why they're doing it. It's just a good exercise in making sure that your your effort is going where it should go. Are you right? saying stop, collaborate, and listen? I am. <laughs> Much like Vanilla Ice, I am indeed saying this. So <laughs> I don't know where to go from there, Melissa. You threw me off. Sorry. <laughs> All right, so you want to jump into the topic? My, my so job the Google, is complete here. Google study. So the format of this, what we're going to do is Google, uh, Melissa is going to kind of go through the data that they reported in this Google study on mobile travel and how people use their mobile phones for travel. And we're going to just kind of have a roundtable discussion about each of these and what our takeaways are from it. So first of all, let's set the stage of who they surveyed in this 
uh, study. So they're talking to U.S. people, first of all, age 18 to 64, who used a smartphone for finance in the last month. And this was conducted in October of 2016. Not sure why finance in the past month, but that's what they did. So um, that's where we're starting. And we're going to start with really sort of top level information. And they're saying that in what Google is calling the I want to go moments of the travel process. So people have already decided, hey, I'm ready to go somewhere. We're saying that over 51% of smartphone owners use their device for some sort of travel related activities. That's a lot of people using a smartphone. But I personally, I look at the flip side of that and then I'm like 49% don't. Yeah, that is true. And I would also say that this data is different than what we've seen. And when we've done our travel study and we're getting ready to publish a new study in the next couple of weeks, that data says that it's a little higher than that. You know, and I wonder how people are perceiving that. Is it like, because I know this this study gets into mobile apps versus mobile websites a little bit. Is, is in the perception of the people, are they thinking more app when they're answering that question? Because I, I, my gut tells me that it's actually higher. Yeah, I, I would feel the same way. I'm surprised that their data didn't indicate it was even 60 or 70%. Especially when we see on our, um, you know, on our hotel website traffic, right? For if you look across all our clients, yes, in some cases it's sixty percent plus of the traffic is coming from a mobile device Correct. or a mobile phone, even. So, you know, that 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 tells me that there might be something off with this data. Especially that they pulled the survey constituents were people that use it for finance, which I think they used that as a means to dictate, okay, these are savvy people. These are people that have embraced mobile for their everyday life. Sure. They're using it for finance. Let's extrapolate that to other behavior like travel. And it is ages 18 to 64, which is very wide range. We don't know really what the breakdown of that demographic yeah, is. Yeah, if you took 18 to 35 and then 35 right. to 64, what, how it does that skew? It could definitely skew, sure. Yeah, sure. I agree. So in the meantime, so of those 51% of smartphone owners that did use their phones for travel-related activities, the top three things that they did on their phone was look for discounts or offers. We had 44% of people who did that. 35% look for things to do or tourist information before visiting a destination. And then the next most popular thing was to look at things to do or tourist information while visiting a destination. It's interesting that people are, are spending more time looking at the area before the jury you know that that surprised me a little bit yes i knew people were doing it both but it you know i don't know that there's anything to take from that to glean from that other than you need to be presenting that information mm -hmm. all the time but it, it was kind of interesting that once the people are on the vacation you'd maybe perhaps less likely to convince them to do something like taking a show or an attraction something and, like and that. we've talked a lot about how you know, vacation time is becoming more and more at a premium. Mm -hmm. That a lot of people lock that stuff in. They mm -hmm. know I'm going here at this time, at this date, and they're going to go ahead and plan on that. They're not going to necessarily go to a vacation and then decide what they do there. Yeah, and a lot of people too are disconnecting once they get on vacation. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. saying I'm going, I'm going dark on Facebook. I'm not going to interact with the world because I want to disconnect and, and unwind and focus on the vacation. So, yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah, I thought it was interesting on that same slide. It talks about the percentage of people who actually book the accommodation on their phone, and it was only 20%. Yep. Uh, we see very similar numbers where people are shopping on their phone, but they typically go to a desktop to make the booking. 
there's a big opportunity in my perspective of making the consumer more comfortable using that mobile device to actually consummate the booking on the device versus forgetting about it going to their desktop and yeah, I think there's still in in the mind of the consumer there's still a misconception that mobile phones aren't as secure as desktops. And you know, I feel like we went through this in the '90s with online shopping in general. People didn't feel comfortable putting their credit card into a computer. They felt like it was not secure, and in some cases, it wasn't back then. But I mean, the reality is today it's more secure to to order on your computer than it is in store, right? Because people have these swiper chips and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the reality that no one realizes is that mobile phones are significantly more secure than a desktop because you don't have the viruses. You don't have a lot of the opportunities to intercept that that you do on a desktop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think consumers are going to catch up. I think as we use it more for everyday things like banking, I think as things like Apple Pay and other things become more prevalent, it, it's going to catch up. It's just we're probably five years from where it's going to reach equilibrium, but I think we're going to get there. Sure, and I think, at least personally for me, and I think other people can relate, that it's, it still is somewhat cumbersome to enter in all your information, information on a phone versus on a desktop. Yeah, I mean, two thumbs versus, you know, eight fingers typing. It's because you don't typically type with your <laughs> thumbs, right? Your thumbs are the space bar, I guess. But... Um, it kind of makes sense, but I think people are getting around that because you know you look at Expedia and any anyone that has a loyalty program and you're logged in for whatever reason, a lot of things now are using your thumbprint to to authenticate mm-hmm. on your mobile phone, and if you're logged in, you really don't have to re-enter that that credit card information. So I feel like that frictionless transaction is becoming more prevalent, sure. um, and that's going to help. But I really still feel like it's it's a psychological thing more than anything. We see so many people start their vacation journey on a mobile phone and then switch into that desktop. Well, here's the thing though, is that it's saying that only 25% of these respondents looked at accommodations on a phone, which well, we know from what you what we already just said is we're just seeing a much higher percentage of people on Well, phone. I think the caveat of that is we're still in the, I want to go. So they perhaps haven't, in that initial phase, haven't gotten to the point where they even know where they want to go, much less where they want to stay. So I feel like that's a caveat to this particular stat. And, and did they qualify that these were travel? I know they said they've, they used a financial app in the last however long, but they're not, nec- not everyone travels all the time. You know, when we've done our studies and when we look at our data on our websites, those are known travelers because that, you know, they're on the website. So we know they're looking to travel. Right. So that could skew these numbers a little bit. I mean... The exact question here is, which of the following activities have you done on your smartphone in the last 30 days? Okay. So, yeah, it's not necessar- necessarily saying you've traveled in the last 30 days. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that could be wise All right, let's keep going. All right. So the next topic is talking about how people find out about apps. And most people, as it turns out, are turning to friends and family and browsing the app store to figure out whether they want to install an app or not. So 35% said they turned to friends and family, an equal amount said they browsed the app store. 31% said they saw an ad while browsing the web, but this is the one that really got me. And this is where I think that hoteliers really need to step up their game. 11% said that the business informed them directly about their app. And we've talked about this multiple times. Pete, I felt like you're about to explode. You're getting really red at that number. (laughs) It's crazy to me that 
And now, granted, from this uh, group that they studied, they all have not you know chosen an accommodation or a destination or anything well, they yet. May not even be traveling, right? But but still, if you are planning a trip, and if you're a hotelier who has their email address, where are they in that customer journey? Where you're walking them through the process, you're letting them know about none of the property, but the benefits that your property offers, like an app, like the mobile website, even all that stuff. I mean, Email marketing is key for that because those people are looking at it. Get them there. Get them with smart banners on a mobile device. Get them with the homepage. There's so many opportunities. It just drives me nuts that, in this case, 89% of the customers don't know about an app. Well, I feel like this could be certainly a communication issue from a hotel's perspective, but just letting them know. But it could also be an issue of they're not accurately communicating the value of the app, like why you should download it. Or the app just people, it, like it's not a good app. Not to say that you, your hotel's app isn't good, but is it actually something that people actually want to use? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we have a mobile app product for hotels you, called Guest Express where hotels can customize it to their own brand so it looks to the consumer like Hotel XYZ has its own mobile app, right? So we have two, we have dozens of installs of this in the app store that are live, and we have two types of client. We have the kind of client that jumped onto this and wanted a mobile app because it was bright and shiny and didn't really listen to us when we were talking about the value of the app and how they can use it to increase the experience of the guest, to communicate better with the guest, to provide value to the guest. Right? There's those people, and there's people that really get it. And if you look at how they communicate about the app, those two groups are very different. Right? You've got the one group that it has a ubiquitous, it's a universal approach to how they communicate the app. Right? It's, it's a smart banner on their mobile website. It's in their pre-arrival email. They sometimes have their own dedicated email. It's on the confirmation page of the website. It's, it's throughout the hotel in signage and in the rooms. It's in every email that they send out, marketing email. So it's it's everywhere. Whenever you interact with that brand, there's a message there that they have an app and here's the value that it provides. Those guys are doing a great job and their apps are doing really well and they're generating a ton of money from it and their customer satisfaction is going up and their review scores are going up because they get it. These other guys, and we're trying to educate them in a lot of our competitors that have apps that maybe don't have the feature set that as does have fallen into this other category where it's like oh yeah by the way we have an app you, you can get it if you want but they're not really selling the value and they're not telling everyone all the time it think about it, about like your website right you tell everyone on everything you do that you have a website you have your url on everything you have your mobile app should be the same way and if you don't think that your mobile app is as valuable as your website then you don't have the right mobile app or you haven't spoken to the right people because it can generate a ton of revenue. It can make every guest experience that much better. We've talked so much about the customer's experience with the property is a cycle. The moment the person books a room and is on the property, that's when the selling begins to get them to come back to the property. And the app really gets them in all portions of that cycle. A lot of times if someone's at the property, They've kind of disconnected from the web in a lot of you know, instances. They're not going to your property website anymore once they're at, you know, in their destination. But if you have that app and they're getting a push notification that there's a special at the bar that's exclusive to app holders, you're making that customer experience much better and you already are selling them on that return visit. Yeah, and you're making more money at the same time. <clears throat> right. right. It, it turns the app from the first set of customers 
they have a revenue generation tool. The second set of customers that you were talking about is an expense on their budget. Exactly. The app should not be an expense on your budget. It should absolutely be an investment with a positive ROI, not just from a direct revenue, but from a reputation standpoint. So, can you tell them hot about this one? Yeah, we're, I feel like we're getting a little, <coughs> a little, a little ranty. ranty. Okay, all right, well, I won't miss this. Take a step all back. All right, cool. All right. So let's talk about, now that we know that we need to step up our game about telling people about their apps, why people actually decide to download a travel app. Mostly, it's because it's to make a specific task easier and or the activity that they're trying to do is not available on the mobile website. Now, this has my interest peaked. Why is whatever that activity not available on a mobile website? I'm not sure. But that's a lot of, of stuff lot. that needs, that you is talking about, ease of use, basically. When you think about like mobile check-in, there's, there's stuff like that that yeah. makes sense, I think, is only available on an app. Yeah. And if everything that your app does is something that can be done on your mobile site, then your app's not very valuable. You have That's to go beyond, above and beyond what your site can do. Things like, like Stuart, like you said, express check-in, things like the push messaging and notifications, right. the geolocation-specific features that an app offers that a website really can never do. From an accommodation standpoint specifically, some of the other top reasons for downloading an app, again, we're going to see this statement a lot throughout this research, is to access discounts and offers, uh, to complete a purchase, and 19% said because they got a specific reward for downloading the app. Yeah, and that's a big thing. I mean, because people obviously, th those that get it and want to invest in the success of the app, a lot of them are, in, in, they are offering incentives. It's just like when people went to online booking. Right, people initially were trying to incentivize that by offering five or ten percent discount if you booked online versus the phone. Not only did it save them on labor because you're not calling a front desk reservationist, but they wanted to shift people to online. It just made sense. I feel like people are doing the same now to try to get buy into the app. Over time, maybe that'll dwindle. Like you don't see people offering ten percent discount for booking online anymore because it's just universal, but I think that could eventually happen with mobiles as well, mobile apps as well. Look at what we did for one client when we first launched our app. We had an event at the property itself, middle of the summer, and we gave them a koozie if they downloaded the app. And we had hundreds of downloads. Just be, it wasn't a big you know, prize or you know, encouragement to download the app, but we're able to spur the you know, awareness of it, get people to download it mm -hmm. for practically nothing. We gave away a big prize at the end of the day and you know, koozie to anybody who got the app. So you know, on property, you can really incentivize those people for pennies. Yeah, and sometimes that incentive can kind of be a two-way street where not only are they getting more value, say discount in the bar, but you're also driving more people to that amenity on property and driving more revenue directly as well. So I feel like there's a perception of what the value is, but there's also, okay, what is the real value in terms of money? And then how much does it actually change the behavior of the guest when they're on property as well. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of ways you can do incentives. Just like loyalty programs are doing now, you know, they're offering similar incentives to sign up. And I think some people are even tying the loyalty program to the mobile app and that being one and the same thing, which I like that approach as well. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about free versus paid apps. It turns out that 82% of these respondents have never paid for a travel app, neither have I. But of those that did, and keep in mind this is only 92 respondents that did actually pay for a travel app, 
Their reasons for paying for that app was that it had very good content, it had good reviews, it offered functionality that was not available on a free version, or they wanted something that was ad-free, but here we go again, 30% said there were exclusive deals or discounts offered on that version of the app. We're back to discounts. Everybody wants a discount. Well, they want value, right? So I think if, if you look at commerce in general, when people exchange cash for something, they're receiving something that they feel is equal or greater in value to mm-hmm. cash they're giving, right? So I, I don't see myself personally giving away money to get download an app because I feel like everything I need from an app is available for free for the most part. I don't know what apps they're downloading. I'm trying to think of a travel, travel app. app that you would pay for. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's not a brand app, right? Because that would be ludicrous for a a hotel chain to charge people to download their app. I don't don't know either, but you know, there are apps I have certainly paid for, but it's because of the the value I wanted didn't exist in a free app. You know, whether that's like a camera monitoring system or something like that, you know, Mm. that it gave me something that I wanted and I'm willing to pay for it. I think from the hotel perspective, you should never even consider charging, right? You always want to give away the app in an exchange for their, the storage space on their hard drive of their phone, you're giving them some kind of value, whether that's discounts, information, exclusivity, whatever it is, you need to give them some kind of value. So how often are people using apps and how many travel apps do they install when they install travel apps? Seven. Wrong. On average, smartphone users have 2.3, exactly 2.3 travel apps installed. And 58% of those people, of those apps are used at least monthly. You know what? I should have taken this survey when I did my travel (laughs) app I think you would skew it. And had like 50 travel apps on my phone. I would have totally thrown off this data set. This is true. And it was pretty evenly spread between people having zero apps versus three plus apps. I mean, it was like 25% across the board between those four categories. Um, But 58% did say that if they have an app, a travel app, they're using it at least monthly. Hmm. So mobile site versus travel app, which is better for what type of stuff that you're trying to accomplish? It turns out that more people turn to mobile sites than travel apps, but each role has, or each one has a role to play. Um, If we're looking at top reasons for using an app versus a mobile site, 60% use the app because of the loyalty program. 58%, this doesn't necessarily apply to hotels, but we're talking about digital ticketing or boarding passes, but 49% 49% said they prefer the uh, app versus a mobile site to check in to a flight or accommodation. Uh, 41% would rather book an accommodation on an app versus 38% that preferred a mobile site. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I would say this. For years and years and years, I was uh, in the camp of hotels don't need a mobile app. Right, they just, a mobile website can do everything that a mobile app can. There's really no value, and really, since seeing the behavior on mobile apps for hotels, I've completely shifted to the other camp because there, there's a lot of things you can do when you know that this is this specific person that they're not having 
Because the problem with a mobile website, people use multiple browsers, right, across multiple devices. So I'm using my phone, I'm using my desktop, I'm using this other stuff. If I have an app and I'm logged in, I know exactly who that person is all the time. So I can do one-to-one -one communication, I can provide information that's exclusive to them and provide their specific unique benefit. And I can do cool stuff like mobile check-in and things that require the hardware on the phone as well. So. I'm definitely in the camp of you need a mobile app, but it's very different in what it does versus a mobile website. Mobile well, website's still a brochure, you know, mm -hmm. it still allows booking and stuff, but it's still a brochure. The app is a tool that allows you to perform functions. Yeah, when you look at the data, it's really the, the usage of the app follows the conversion funnel. People who are very early in the process are looking at the site. People who are farther into the conversion funnel are moving more and more toward the app. It really helps to look at the data. So go to the show notes and download the, the study from Google. But what you'll see is at the beginning of the process, people really do prefer the, the mobile site, either on their phone or on the desktop. But once you get closer and closer to that vacation, things like express check-ins, booking flights, you know, accommodations, loyalty programs, that's all late funnel type activity. And that's where people love the app. That's why it's important to be there. On the flip side, looking at people who prefer a mobile site versus the app uh, at the top is things to do before visiting. So 47% prefer a mobile site versus an app if they haven't quite arrived at their destination yet. Shocking to me was 45% prefer the mobile site for a last minute booking versus 34% on an app. That's a big difference to me and I was really surprised that that wasn't flip-flopped. I think it depends on the app. I think if you're using like an OTA or a flag app, you're more likely to use that to book. But if it's a last minute vacation to a say destination, I, I could see that because I wouldn't necessarily go download an app and then book. I just go to the site last minute, book it, and then I'll worry about the app after the fact. Yeah, I think this data again might be skewed a little bit by who is answering because I think a lot of times they're talking about flights versus hotels. So maybe that has something mm, to do with it. Too. Perhaps. Yeah, it doesn't specifically say. Yeah. I guess a booking could be a flight. Yeah. I guess I'm skewed towards hotels. Uh, so, moving on. Once they install an app, what are the features that are important and most valuable to our travelers? And 64% said, this is very vague, but a wide range of features. Great. Thanks for that. <laughs> Uh, 62% say uh, anything that stores their preferences to make future activities easier. That was important. That certainly makes sense. And here we go with the geolocation. 58% said that if it uses location for personalized experience, that was important. 34%, I thought this was low, that you know storing your credit card or billing information for the future to make purchases faster in the future was important to them and valuable. I wonder if that's more just because of the still, we haven't quite gotten to the point where people are super comfortable with that. I don't know. So how about annoying features that could be annoying by perception is push notifications, right? If you're not doing them well, if you're doing them too often, you might be a little worried about kind of ticking off your app users. Well, this is what the survey says. 87% of travelers saying that they actually do find push notifications useful. That's an extremely high percentage. And what types of notifications are they interested in? Shocking. 44% said new discounts or offers. 
and 38% said they enjoy getting push notifications about a reminder to book or if they're in the process of purchasing something that they would accept a push notification. All right, so the, so I see push notifications kind of like I see email. Right? I was literally just about to say that. Go ahead. No, I just feel like that's <coughs> right, the Let me rephrase. Misha <laughs> sees push notifications much like she sees email. Yeah, I just feel like it's kind of the desktop version of a notification. And obviously, as we've expressed in the past, the more personalized and relevant you can make it to a person. Like, it's not like email is dead, which has been the, you know, clickbait Every, title. Everything is dead. dead. <laughs> but it's not. You just have to do it properly and people find it useful. You just can't spam them with it and do it just for the sake of doing it. All right. Anytime you're communicating to your guest, there's a very simple test that you need to perform in your mind before you send it, okay? Am I serving the guest or am I serving myself? If the answer is I'm serving myself, do not send it, right? If you're not providing value in the push notification, in the email you send, whatever that communication is, if you're not giving that guest something of value or something useful, then don't send it. It's as simple as that. Don't self-serve by trying to promote something that you know that person's not interested in or probably not interested in. Don't just be like, eh, well maybe they are. Don't do that. Focus on what's relevant to them, what's useful to them, and they're gonna stick with you and be loyal to you. You know how I think about this in like an office setting? So like, what if I were to come to you anytime I had any question or problem, I would come talk to you, no matter Stuart, what it was boss, about. no matter what it was about, I'd be in your yeah. office 50 <laughs> times a day and you would probably fire me. Yeah, no, there are certain questions that you're going to go ask your female lady friends yeah. <laughs> that I do not want to have that question asked to me. Are you sure? I'm 99.97% sure. But like you're a little bit curious. I'm always a little curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no. But so, but if I come to you with something that's really relevant and you need to know and it's beneficial, then yeah. that's why you've kept me around. I'm an email you do not delete. <laughs> you've been called many things in your time that may be the first time you've been called an email. <laughs> <laughs> We're derailing. Yes. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Keep us on track, Melissa. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the critical thing here. Why do people stop using apps or uninstall them? And this shocked me as the number one reason why people stop using an app. And 30% said they need to free up memory on their phone. That does not surprise yeah. me. I have been there. I To me, it's... I have to weigh it. Like, am I using the app? And if yes, then I'm not going to uninstall it. That's my first question. Yeah, Versus... but you're competing. Your hotel app is now competing against Facebook, which it's always going to lose. It's all well, the photos yeah. and videos of your yeah. cats all and wine music. if you're Misha, right? It's all this other stuff. So I, at some point, you're going to lose that battle, especially when people had an eight gig hard drive, that's really not a lot of space mm -hmm. on a mobile phone today. With, with, you know, when people are shooting video and doing all sort of stuff that takes up a lot of memory. Especially in my case where I had kids that would load a bunch of games on my phone as well before they had their own devices, that would take up a ton of space. Mm -hmm. I had to upgrade my phone from a, a, I think it was an eight to like a 32 gig because of that very reason. I was deleting stuff and I was getting to the point where I was deleting stuff that I actually used and had to switch out. Okay, when I want to use the app again, I got to delete another one and add that one back. And I was like playing switcheroo with the apps. It was crazy. So I, I definitely get that. I think, you know, not everyone has the 7 million terabyte phone <coughs> that you have, Melissa. I just upgraded from an 8 gigabyte not that long ago. So. And you never ran out of space on the 8 gig? I, yes, I did. Okay. But I did not delete apps that I used. I had to go delete photos instead. 
and so music you love and apps podcasts. more than memory. If it was yeah. useful enough, well, yes. there's the, the caveat though. Like, That's what I'm saying. From a travel perspective, you know, I feel like a flag hotel or you know, a branded property would have a slight advantage over perhaps a boutique or independent destination because they're not traveling to that one hotel as frequently. So yeah, this might perhaps. be a battle that they're yeah. going to lose, yeah. which well, is fine. It kind of goes to the next item on the list is why the people delete the apps. 29% say, I no longer had a need for that app. And that's kind of what everyone was talking about was we were deleting the apps we didn't need to make room for the ones that we did. And so the top reasons that people no longer had a need for the app was that they only installed it because of a one-off trip. I think that that kind of goes to your point of the boutique hotels. Maybe I'm not coming back to that destination or whatever the case might be. Uh, the other reasons were that other apps covered the travel needs or that the customer was actually no longer a customer of that company and then shame on all of us for not keeping that customer. For the 48% who had it for a one-off trip, when a customer deletes your hotel app even, that's not necessarily a bad thing. They got the value out of it. They used it for their trip. You want to make sure that you provided a great value. If you keep them on the app, that's great. But just know the next time that that person visits, you want to get them to re-engage and re-download that app. Yeah. I don't think that the fact that people <clears throat> might download and use and delete your app is a reason to not have an app. To me, yeah. that's the same thing like saying, oh, well, people are going to visit my website and not book. I just shouldn't have a website. Like, that's not a, a logical argument right, so, to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I, they didn't make it their homepage and it yeah. doesn't stay mm-hmm. with them all the time. No, I agree. I mean, I've been to Disney a few times. I think we've mentioned this on the on the um, podcast before. When I go to Disney, I install the app. It is great. I would never go to Disney without using the app. It would be a nightmare to not know the, the wait times, right? It's so valuable to me. I can switch my fast passes. It is great. I love it. It's one of my favorite apps. Is the app on my phone today? It's it, deleted. Absolutely you're not, because it's deleted as soon as I leave, because it's... It, it's no longer what I need at that time. You know, hotels can find ways to provide value through the app. You know, they could do, they could do, could do, could do shared memory, social integration, and provide offers and things throughout the year. But the chances are people really aren't going to think about your hotel again until they're preparing for their next vacation. It's okay if they delete the app. But like to Pete's point, having the app during the experience and enhancing that experience by providing value, making them have a better stay, making them feel happier when they leave and leave better reviews, that value right there is why you have an app. It doesn't matter if it's on there the other, you know, 51 weeks a year, if they had it on there for that one week and it made their life better. That's why you have an app. Well, the good news is sometimes you can get those travelers to re-engage with the app, reinstall it or whatever the case might be. The number, I'm going to start with the number three and number four most popular reasons that people will re-engage, and it's what I keep saying in every answer to this survey, is discounts on the next purchase or some sort of exclusive or bonus offers that are being now offered through the app. 24%, 25% of people will. I think we've learned people like deals. They like deals. Mm -hmm. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants a deal. All right, so if you're a hotel, you should offer deals. A specials page on your site will be effective. Yeah. Okay, I bet no hotel that listens to this podcast has ever offered some kind of special. There you go. You learned it here first. That's right. But the number one reason that people will re-engage is if the app uses less memory. So there you go. Hmm. Don't take up too much memory. And if you do, well, make it take up less memory. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important. Uh, you know, a lot of people rushed to market with ads, and some people did it with these beasts that didn't provide a lot of value but took mm -hmm. up a lot of hard drive space. Maybe it's time to relook at that. You know, look at a lightweight solution, look at a, a licensed software solution so you're not spending tens of thousands of dollars to create your own app. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of products out there, you know, like Guest Express and, and a lot of others. So, um, well, they also, from a memory perspective, a lot of the benefits of an app can be served by having that person also connected to the web as well. You know, I think it, when you see these really heavy, intensive apps, they're designed to be used possibly with no web connection. From a hotel's perspective, you know, it can just be the source where you're constantly pulling information from the web, you know, embedded website or whatever else it might be to keep the actual app itself down to a minimal size. But when they're using it, you know, making the most of what you can pull from the web. You know what I love about the response to that question though? is really, do you look at the size of the app before you download it? Or do you, how, did, how did these people know that they reduced the size of the app before they reinstalled it? Hmm. Like yeah. I feel like that, a good question. When I, I was like clearing out memory, yeah. I would look at the size of the when app. When I was deleting apps, yeah, yeah, for sure. But then I didn't, when but I downloaded it, you know, I, never, I don't even know if it's, I guess it shows in the information mm -hmm. tab, but I've never looked at it. See, I'm so bad at like looking at, it's like, oh, the app is this size. I'm like, that means nothing to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks. It's 400 terabibbles. Yeah, I, pretty much. Like, I just, I just have not grasped that concept of data size because I can't like look at it and see the size of it. So whatever yeah. brain function that is, it, I don't have it. You're going to send infographic that shows you like k to meg to gig yeah. to tera to yeah. Yeah, like which one is the size of like a grain of salt and which one is the size of like yeah. Pete's head. Yeah, and, and, and for Misha, you need to compare it to something she understands. So like this cat, it, this. This app is, is equivalent to one small cat, <laughs> you know, versus this app is four giant cats. Or better yet, bottles of wine. Oh, yes. So, like, here's the, you know, the little champagne mini bottle that you get for when you need a little pick-me-up during the day. And here's, like... Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I like we have to have a little talk here. <laughs> you may have a problem with That's why, why do you think my door is always locked? <laughs> this is true. Hmm. Yeah. Right, I'm going to send you an infographic that illustrates... I'm a, I'm a very visual person, so, yeah. yeah. Just for reference, it's about each one, each iteration is about a thousand more than the last-ish. It's a thousand and twenty-four times the yeah, last. Yeah, I don't know how much a thousand is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A weekend worth Is that like the mind. metric system <laughs> that you, like, foreigners use that actually makes sense? No, it's computer speak. It's all to do with binary and bytes and bits. And... All right, we're so far off track, we're back on track again. <laughs> well, luckily that is the end of the travel study. There were, it looks like about 45-ish questions that they had come up with and they kind of summed it up with 20 slides. It was pretty cool. I liked it. Mm -hmm. If you like what we're talking about with mobile apps as well, go back and listen to episode 23 of this podcast because Misha did a really good job where she tried literally every single app that was related to travel that existed and kind of gave us a breakdown of the best and the worst. So you can go listen to that too. And if you're interested in a mobile app for yourself, go to our website and check out Guest Express under the products. Um, or you can go to guestexpressapp.com and look at that if, if you're interested. Just let us know and we'll kind of give you a demo and show you what some of our clients are doing with mobile apps in general. It's pretty cool. Or if you just like cool data stuff, definitely go to Think with Google, um, their little mini website. They have a ton of studies and stats on all kinds of things, on all types of industries. So definitely check out Think with Google as well. Yeah, and then also we have an in-person live sort of podcast, but not a podcast, a presentation that Misha and I will be doing 
next week. You want to talk about that, Misha? Sure. So Stuart and I are going to tag team a presentation for our local chapter of HSMAI. We are going to be speaking at Ocean Creek Resort. It's right across from Barefoot Landing, if you're familiar with the Myrtle Beach area. And we are going to be talking about some of the top digital trends for the hospitality industry for 2017. So we'd love to have some people come out and watch us and hear all of our knowledge in person. So we'll put a link in the show notes if you would like to register and come by. And if you mention the podcast, we'll give you some free swag while you're there as well. How about that? So that is awesome. Also awesome is we are looking to add to our Fueligan team. So if you are in the industry and would like to join us. Or know somebody who would. Or know someone Mm -hmm. that would. uh, We're looking for a few different positions, but notably a traffic manager and custom sport uh, person. All of those jobs are on fueltravel.com slash careers. So go check that out. And if you're interested, please apply. We'd love to hear from you. And you could be a Fueligan and one day perhaps be on this podcast as well. How about that? Life goals. It is. Yeah. All right. So, guys, you can get the notes to this podcast on fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 34. And Pete, where can they find you on the interwebs? They can find me on Twitter at pdimeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. Melissa, where can I find you on the inner tubes? I am on Twitter at Ma Cavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Misha, where can they find you on the something else funny that I can't think of? You can find me on the internets at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. And until next time, you've been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. The Christmas bumper edition. <laughs> sound check, sound check. 3000. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> sound check. I'm just gonna sit here and mumble. Yeah. Oh, 90s sound check. <laughs> <laughs>